Thank you for joining Vertical Church Online. We're so glad you could be with us this morning as we wrap up our series, I Know a Ghost, with today's message being, I Know a Ghost Who Sets Me Free. So tune in and let the ghost speak to you. People like to talk about who they know. Some say they know a celebrity. Some say they know a professional athlete. I guess they think that who they know makes them someone. I don't really know any celebrities. I don't really know anyone that's wealthy. My story's a little different. But it is the truth. Who you know does make you someone. You see, I know a ghost. Yeah. Man, so glad you're here today. Um, I'm kind of sad that we're coming to the end of our series today, really. I mean, it's been such a great uh, two months, and God has taught us all so much in the process. And I hear so many great stories from right here in our own church family, uh, people whose lives are being changed, men who say to me, you know, I'm, I'm learning some things about the Holy Ghost that I didn't know before, and it has revolutionized my walk with God. I love that. I love hearing from a wife that says, my husband is different because of the last four or five weeks. He's not like he used to be. I love hearing that, that it's happening in the home. I love hearing the stories of families who say, this has really changed a lot for us in the way we view our walk with God, and the way we understand him being present in our lives. I love all of that. I've had some come to me and say, you know what? Through this, God is drawing me closer, and I have taken the step of, of surrendering my life to Jesus and I'm ready to be baptized in the name of Jesus. So uh, I'm loving that too. Amen. Yeah, making that decision and making it public. This is where it, this is where it becomes a reality. So we make the step that's inside a reality outside. Jesus commands his followers to be baptized. And it's to be done in a public setting where we put our, our faith on display for others, where we say, I'm making this confession real. It's not something we do in a closet off somewhere on campus. It's not something we do in secret. It's something we do in public right here. So in two weeks, we're doing that right here. I've had some say I want to be baptized. So I'm already making a list and talking with those who want to be baptized. So I would say to you, if over the last weeks, if even today, you hear the Spirit of God speaking to you, calling you, drawing you to change your life, to surrender to him, to follow him, and to be baptized, come see me afterwards. I want to talk. We want to celebrate with you what God is doing in your life. So uh, last night was our fall carnival. It's one of the big events we do every year here at Vertical Church in an attempt to open the doors to our community and say, hey, come on campus and have some fun. Uh, we want your children to experience the light of Christ. And so we celebrated that here last night. We had over 450 on campus. It was an awesome night. Yeah, big hand. 
to all of our volunteers who help make that happen. There's a lot of work that goes into transforming this place into a carnival. So there are, there's a lot of activities in here, our trunk or treat outside, bounce houses and food, and volunteers staffed all of that. And a big hand to Jamie and especially Micah, our children's coordinator here at Vertical Church for the work that they did. They're upstairs this morning. They are, uh, they're leading the glow worship activity up there this morning. So, uh, Man, if you thought we were having a good time down here, you'd have to see what they're doing up there in their glow worship time. Um, what else? This week has been an exciting week for our family. So uh, I guess it was uh, Tuesday night, was it? Tuesday night, we're out and uh, it's, it's half price night at Top Golf. That's the night to go. And Truett's birthday we were celebrating, of course. So uh, we're there celebrating and Brooke, who is obviously very pregnant at that point, is just sitting back and watching, and we say, hey, Brooke, you want to take a few swings? Oh, I don't know. Well, maybe so. She takes a few swings. She swings that golf club, comes back, and we're sitting around laughing, having a good time, and she says, um, uh, Hunter and I are going to need to go. My water just broke. And so uh, I thought, woohoo! you know, this is awesome. Top golf, Hunter's birthday, and water break. That's awesome. So uh, by the next morning, there was a new baby in this world that we have been praying for. So here she is. There's Adeline Grace, and we're excited uh, to get to meet her. And uh, Brooke is doing very well, and Hunter too. So uh, now they're, they're both sliding into this role of parenthood uh, so beautifully, and we're grateful for them. Heather spent a few days with them, helping them in the adjustment period, and it's all been great. So we celebrate with them today. So the last service, last message in our series, I Know a Ghost. It's a funny thing about uh, ghosts and haunting and all that kind of stuff. We've talked about the fact that there really are no such thing as ghosts. There are evil spirits who masquerade as ghosts. And I've heard stories from people right here who say, well, you should have been in this one house we lived in, or you should have been in this one place we were in. I, I don't doubt that that stuff is there and that it's very real. But I would, I would tell you this, those are not ghosts. Those are evil spirits that roam the earth seeking to uh, twist, distort, induce fear, and deceive you into thinking that they are something as harmless as a ghost when they are far more insidious than that. It's a funny thing about haunted places. It's the kind of place that people like to go visit, you know, one time, but nobody wants to stay in that place, you know? You want to go see a place that where they say it's haunted, but nobody wants to live there. Nobody wants to have that as being your house, right? Where the room upstairs is creepy cold all the time, and there's strange things that happen in there when you go by. Anybody with me this morning you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You don't want to live in that place because weird stuff happens there. Weird stuff happens when there's weird activity there. But there is a ghost that is very, very real. The Bible describes him as the Holy Ghost. He is the breath of God. He is the essence of God. He is part of the Trinity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He is the very core of heart of God. He is the presence that comes here to earth to meet with us, to fill us, to change us. And when he is in a place, whether it be in you, in your family or in a church, when he is in a place, change happens. In fact, you want to be in that place. 
You might run from some other places where you think there are ghosts, but when you find out the Holy Ghost is in a place, you need to get to that place. You need to get to that room. You need to get there and experience the reality of God's presence, spirit, and ghosts. Amen? Because when he is present in a spot, when he is present in a life, when he is present in a marriage, when he's present in a church, there is an unmistakable quality. Yes, he gives comfort. Yes, he speaks truth. Yes, he reassures with his presence. But the Bible says there is one specific quality that follows the presence of the ghost. And when the ghost is in the house, you will know it by this one specific quality. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 describes it this way. 17 describes it this way. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where the ghost of God is present, where he is acknowledged, where he is submitted to, where he is recognized, when the people are aware that in that place, there is great freedom. It's one of the beautiful trademarks of the presence of the ghost. You know he's there because in that place, there is great liberty. There in that person, there's great liberty. There in that marriage, there's great liberty. And there in that church, there is great liberty. Now let me define some terms here for us because our world has done a number on the term liberty and freedom. It has distorted that word until it is no longer even recognizable today. The world today takes the word freedom and says that means I get to do what I want, when I want, and no one can tell me what to do. They have destroyed the word. They have ruined its meaning. They have taken it to mean I am free to do whatever I want. I can participate in my sin. I can participate in my perversion. I can participate in whatever I choose, and I ought to have the freedom to do so. That no one should tell me. No one should direct me. I should have no guidelines, no, no guardians, and no principles that define what I do. That is what the world has defined the word freedom to be. But when you read the scripture, you find a very different definition. You find that the Spirit of God, when he is present in a life, in a marriage, in a church, he does bring liberty. But he does not bring the kind of liberty that says, I'm free to be selfish. He brings a kind of liberty that goes much deeper than that. He brings a liberty and a freedom that settles deep within the soul, that changes a life completely, that causes a person to be at a place of complete freedom and peace with God, where there is no more guilt, shame, fear because of their sin. It brings them to this place of incredible peace and freedom to be engaged in a moment of worship. To not have to be distracted by, I wonder what other people are thinking about me. 
To not have to be burdened with, uh, what about my sin from last year and five years ago and ten years ago? What about my fears of the future and all the distractions that go with it? When there's true liberty, a person is able to be in the moment, engaged in complete worship and surrender and awareness of the presence of God. This is the kind of liberty that the ghost brings. The ghost brings a kind of freedom that enables you to express your love for God in unbridled passion. You don't have to be insecure, withdrawn, held back. But you are completely overwhelmed in the moment and able to express your love to God. Whether it be in a moment like this or whether it be in the moment when you're driving down Highway 35 or whether you're in your room all alone at night or whether you're in your backyard or whether you're listening to a podcast. In that moment, you're able to express your love verbally. You're able to sing to the Lord without fear. Your heart is unburdened. It is unbound and it is free. This is the kind of freedom that the ghost brings. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is this kind of liberty and freedom. It's a kind of freedom that after a day, you put your head on your pillow at night and you're able to go to sleep because there's peace, there's freedom. The mind doesn't have to keep churning. You don't have to keep replaying. You don't have to keep wondering. You don't have to keep being frustrated because your mind and heart are able to be free. It's a freedom that that enables you to be in a position to love other people regardless of who they are and what they have done. It puts you in a place where you're free from having to hold resentments, keep a list of everyone's offenses, and be so quick to bring up what they've done to you when they get into a moment where they want to point out what you've done to them. You're able to be free from all of that. You're able to be free to just love someone else without regard for what they have done to you. This is the height of love, and this is what the ghost enables us to do. Where he is present, there is liberty. When the ghost is present, it enables you to be free from the pain of the past. It enables you to see how to forgive because of what you have been forgiven of. It enables your heart to be able to be free to forgive them. Because in that moment, what someone else has done to you, and you choose to hold them in resentment and bitterness and seek revenge, and you keep playing the tape over and over again of what they did to you, you are the one in that moment that is in prison, not them. You are keeping yourself there. And when the ghost comes in and points out what Christ has done for you, then you can make the choice to forgive. Let them be free in you and let God do what he will with them. This enables you to be free. Where the ghost is, there is liberty. 
the more we recognize his presence, the more we recognize what he has done for us, it even brings us to a place of great freedom in our faith where we can believe some things that God has said to us in spite of how overwhelming or impossible they seem in the moment. When God gives you a promise and you have a hard time seeing how that could even be a possibility, how it could ever come to pass, when your heart is free and the ghost is present, you're able to believe those things because you have let go of your arrogance, your pride, your own ability to try to logically figure it all out. You're free from all of that and you're free to completely trust God. This is the place of liberty that God longs for us to experience full freedom with him, full freedom to receive what he has, full freedom to love others, full freedom to trust what he has said. Because when the ghost is present in our life, when we acknowledge him, surrender to him, walk in step with him, trust him, there is liberty. Amen? Whew. That's the kind of freedom I want to walk in. You too, right? This is the kind of freedom that, that Jesus said he had come for. Listen to Jesus' opening words as he begins his public ministry. It's, it's really his inaugural address. This is his statement upon what he will be about. This is his statement of what his future is going to be consumed with. This will be his kingdom, and this is what he will be about. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The ghost was on him. Listen to me. Because he has anointed me, Jesus said, The ghost has anointed me, settled on me, called me, appointed me, Two, preach the gospel to the poor, not just the physically tangibly poor, but those poor in their spirit. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This is what Jesus said he had come to do because he and the ghost always work together. They do. The ghost is working internally and Jesus was preaching externally so that it might change hearts and people might be free. This has always been God's desire. Not just physical freedom, but an internal freedom. Something deep within your soul that sets you free. It's staggering how much we go through life and don't realize the things that keep us from being free. The fears, the guilt, the pressure. I'm not talking about just your work environment. I'm not talking about your home environment. 
I'm not talking about trying to drive down Old Villa Road between here and Red Oak. That's pressure right there. I'm talking about something deeper than that. I'm talking about something on the core of who you are. The gospel is not intended for just a piece of your life. It is intended for the core of your life. And when you find the freedom there, you can even walk through struggles and fearful moments. And you will say, deep within your heart, all is well with my soul. You'll have peace. You'll have comfort because the ghost will be there. So I want to talk to us today about the things that keep us from being free. Three things specifically. The first of those is guilt. Guilt is the soul's version of pain. If you... um, As Aaron Walter Jr. this week experienced, he fell and he cut his lip and he had to get stitches right here. Can you imagine getting stitches on your lip right here? I just like, ugh. Alexa was describing it, the singer who's standing right here this morning. She was describing that little process. Aaron Jr. is how old? Four. Thank you. Can you imagine that? Four years old, you're cut and you're... This pain is just excruciating. It's what God has designed the body to do. When there is some kind of infliction, pain is the result to let us know, hey, something's wrong here. Hey, you need to get this looked at. Something's not right. That's the body's alert system to us. You need to get this looked at. When guilt comes into our soul, it's the soul's version of, hey, you need to get this looked at. Something's not right here. This is not the way things are supposed to be. So when you go through a moment and you make a choice or you you discover an attitude has creeped up within you and you're expressing it or you're walking in or you've gone someplace, you're doing something, you've said something, and all of a sudden you feel guilt in your soul, that's God, the ghost, speaking to you in your soul, saying, something's not right here. You need to get this looked at. Guilt is that alert system to us. Guilt is one of those things that God has designed for us to be free from, but so often we choose not to take it. We choose instead to just hold on to it. We keep the guilt. And the guilt, the longer we keep it, becomes like a burden to us. It's like a weight. We, we put it on in a, like a backpack and we carry it around the, the failures of our week, the failures from the past, the burden of things we've really messed up. And they all are a weight to us. And we carry them around to the point that soon it is slowing our walk. Slow, soon it is keeping us from experiencing the life God has for us and it will keep you from being free. When you carry guilt for your past, for your sin, for things that have happened that you have done, you'll find yourself doing some strange things that you may not even be aware of that you're doing. You find yourself 
withdrawing from other people, especially Christians and church groups, because you feel guilt and you are pulling away, choosing to not get involved, choosing to not be engaged in the situations, choosing to not be in groups, choosing to not go to church because you feel this guilt. I didn't have a good week, so I'm not going to go to church. Do you hear the lack of rationale in that? I have failed this week, so I'm not going to go to the place where I can get the encouragement and help I need to cleanse my soul from all the failure and guilt I carry. Do you hear me? But that's what we do. We choose to carry the guilt. We carry it around like a weight. We carry it around on our conscience, and we play the tape over and over again of the things that we've done. And it becomes a burden to us. We hear the voices of the past. We hear them all talking to us. We hear them reminding us of our sins, reminding us of our past, and they play like a bad VHS tape that's all distorted and scraggly, and, but you keep playing it in your head, especially when you get into situations that involve God. You all of a sudden start playing the tape, and it takes you out of the moment. You can't worship in that moment. You can't express your love in that moment. You can't be grateful in that moment because you're consumed with your past and your guilt. Guilt will keep you from being free. You'll start suffering emotionally. You'll start having other emotional issues crop up, and you won't know where they came from. Why am I all of a sudden having these panic issues? Why am I all of a sudden having these anger issues? Why am I all of a sudden having these depression issues? Largely, those are caused from a source that's deeper than those, but at a place where guilt is still living in someone's heart. Because they've carried around this burden, it is weighing on their soul. They were never meant to carry it. They were never meant to have to bear that alone. But they can't shake it, and so they carry it, and they are anything but free. They become critical of other people. They can't stand how they are in the moment, so they might as well just criticize some other people in the moment. I feel better about myself if I can point out everybody else's flaws. I get to a place where the, the pain is so great, the turmoil is so much, I've got to do something to try to soothe it and salve it and cover it and somehow just escape in a little while. I think that's how Netflix has made so much money. There's a lot of things we turn to. And soon, the voice of guilt becomes the narrative over our life. You find that all of a sudden you can't do anything without hearing the narrative of guilty, shameful. You screwed up again. You never get anything right. You're destined for a life of failure. You'll never amount to anything. God could never use you. God could never love you. You could never have your life restored and redeemed. Those are all the voices of guilt. And they weigh people down to the point that they can't even enjoy being in a moving worship experience because they're so consumed with the load of guilt on their soul. 
They find it uncomfortable to spend any time alone. Any time alone with God. Any time having to discuss Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Bible, whatever it might be, because the guilt has consumed them. And they get to the place where they feel it's not even right to feel good anymore. That this is what I deserve. This is what I just am subjected to for the rest of my life. And guilt will keep you from being free. The second barrier to freedom is fear. Fear brings you to a place where you are looking at life through glasses that remove any evidence of God loving you. You just think about that for a moment. Fear causes you to look at life through a lens that removes any piece of truth that says God loves you. Paul wrote in the New Testament, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. But when we get to a place where we let fear consume us, then it will keep you from being anything that even looks like freedom. It'll keep you bound up. It'll keep you withdrawn. It'll keep you consumed with wondering what other people think about you. You fear what they think about you. You assume the worst about what they think about you. You have fear of the future, of what the rest of this day is going to hold, of what the rest of this month is going to hold, and what the next parts of your life are going to hold. You have this fear of being rejected so you avoid relationships. You have a fear of failing so you stop trying to do anything new. You have a fear of being laughed at, a fear that something tragic is going to happen. A fear that God is going to do something terrible to you because of your past. A fear of other people and insecurity that overwhelms you. You end up withdrawn, unable to trust, unable to rest. Because when fear is in the house, you can't trust anybody. You think everybody and everything, even God himself, is out to get you. And so therefore... You cannot trust. You don't put yourself in situations where you can be honest and real with others. You don't put yourself in situations where you could be vulnerable. You don't put yourself in situations to give yourself away to be humble because of your fear. Fear will keep you from being free. Do you know what the opposite of fear is? It's kind of like boldness, but it's not. The opposite of fear is great faith. Faith says, God, I hear what you say. I believe your promise. And in spite of what I see, I will believe what you say. That transforms fear. So if you deal with fear, actually you are in a very good position to become a great person of faith. That means you have real power and potential to believe God in your situation. 
But when fear is consuming you, the last thing you want to do is strike out into some venture you've never even been in before, some situation that you don't fully comprehend or understand, some place that God would tell you to go to and you don't know what's there. And so you pull back, hold back, and you are not free in the moment. The third that keeps people from being free is pressure. Hmm. Pressure. Pressure is that feeling of when there is a high expectation for behavior that you feel you have no way of ever attaining. Have you ever been in a moment like that? Have you ever been in a situation where there were really high expectations and there was great pressure, pressure to perform or to fulfill those and you felt you were really incapable of doing that, that is pressure. A pressure to have to perform. A pressure to have to live up to a standard. A pressure that comes from being overwhelmed at the requirements. A pressure that ends up causing someone to feel discouraged, defeated, depressed, and completely unable to move. Because the pressure is too great. You become an emotional wreck. You're unable to relax. And you are unable to be free. Stress quickly capitalizes your emotions. You end up being obsessed with whatever this thing is that's causing the pressure. And your mind won't let it rest. I'm not talking about just stress at your work. I'm not talking about stress with bills. I'm not talking about stress in your relationships. I'm talking about something deeper than that that affects all of those. But I'm driving it back to something deeper here, to what Jesus said he had come to free us from. Guilt, fear, and pressure. Those really have always been the three that are the root of all other struggles, of all other things that keep us from being free, from being able to take a deep breath in our soul and say, I am at peace. Come what may, I am at rest. It is well with my soul. There was a group of people in the New Testament who lived under these three same struggles. They were people who knew about God. They were people who knew about His ways. In fact, they'd come from generations who had trusted God and had faith. This group in the New Testament were many of the Jewish people. They had lived under the Old Covenant. Your Bible is made up of two parts, the Old Testament. Another word for testament is covenant. And then there's the New Testament or the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was established by God when He gave the law. He gave His 
standards of perfection. 613 laws that his people were required to keep. And life hung on the balance of your ability to keep the 613. If you kept them, there was blessing. If you did not keep them, there was curse that would come upon your life. Not just on the religious quadrant of your life, all of your life. Blessing, curses. And they were to live under this law. Laws that dealt with every area of life. Laws that dealt with your relationships. Laws that dealt with your finances. Laws that dealt with celebrations and holy days. Laws that dealt with a system of sacrifices to help you have your guilt removed. But they had to be specifically and completely followed. If you were bringing a sacrifice, it had to be perfect. It had to meet the standards and the requirements. And so these people lived under this, and some of them saw what God was saying through them. The old covenant, the law, was given because it was intended to point out the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. Sometimes you need a standard to come along and point some things out to you, don't you? Sometimes you need someone to come along and and draw a line or two and say, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. And the old covenant was designed to do that. The law was never meant to be a thing that was picked up and followed and made you think at the end of it you would be more holy. The law was designed to bring you to a place where you fell down on your face before God and said, you alone are holy. I can't do it. It's impossible. The standard is too great. You are too holy and I am not. But it's sad how many people missed the point. They saw the 613 and said, you know what? I think I can do this. And I'm going to give it my best shot. And they did. And they became a group of people in the New Testament called the Pharisees. They arrogantly thought they could keep the law. And they tried. Funny thing is, they found they really couldn't. But they didn't want to tell anybody they couldn't. And so they just set up this protective barrier of looking like they could. When all the while inside, they were far from it. So they pretended. They put on a front. They went into their religious ceremonies. How art thou, brother? Great blessings to you, too. And all, you know, all this, fa- does that sound familiar or anything? Yeah. <laughs> all this fake baloney, you know, and Jesus steps on the scene like, what are y'all doing? It's gross. You know, he, he, he gets real, he gets, he gets real, you know, up front with him. He said, you guys, you're like a cup that on the outside is 
clean, but on the inside it's full of all nastiness and your dishwasher hadn't been working in months and just all, there's all caked on stuff inside there and it's starting to mold and there's some bugs and spider webs up in there and, and you're drinking out of that cup. You're offering that cup to other people. That's gross. Jesus said, you guys, you're like a, a tomb. On the outside, you're all painted and look pretty. You're white and all nice and holy looking. But on the inside, you just, you stink. You're death on the inside. They are playing the game. They were living under this law, this old covenant. The law was never meant to be kept like that. It was meant to be a picture of something greater that was coming. The sacrifice system of lambs and bulls and goats and turtle doves and all those things that could be brought to atone for sin, those were all pictures of another lamb that would come one day, the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. The blood of those goats and bulls and lambs and turtle doves and all that stuff, they could never atone for sin. They were just a picture of a greater one coming. The tabernacle, as beautiful and wondrous as it was with its holy place and holy of holy place and holy furniture, as great as it was, it was not the thing that saved them. That was only a picture of a greater tabernacle who would come, Jesus himself, and an even picture followed that, there he would say those who believe would actually become a tabernacle of God. Hello, that's us. All of those were pictures pointing to something greater. There's this tabernacle and holy, holy place, and the presence of God dwells there. His ghost is in there. It was all a picture of another day that would come when the ghost of God would come here on earth and dwell in those who believed, and they would become the sacred places. They were all pictures. The law was pictures pointing to another day. The law pointed to Jesus. It was written on stone tablets so that men would know this is what your heart's like, stone. This is how hard your heart is, stone. There's coming a day, Jeremiah would write, when God will take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and he'll put, he'll put the desire inside you to obey so that you'll be clean from the inside out, not from the outside in. There was coming a day. They all pointed to a day. The law was never the thing. It all pointed to the thing. And that day that it pointed to came. Jesus walked on the earth, lived holy. He became the spotless lamb of God. He was taken arrested. He was crucified. He was placed into a borrowed tomb. But three days later, he rose again because the spirit of resurrection life came into him and he lived and he rose again and he returned to heaven and said, now I'm inaugurating a new day, a new day, a new covenant has come, a new time has come. 
It is time to be free from the old covenant, the old ways, the old pattern, because a new pattern, a new day, a new way has come. The ghost came from heaven and came here to earth, and he came in to those who believe, and we became the sacred places. Amen? We became that place. We became the fulfillment. So all that was prophesied about a day that would come, this is that day. We're living in that day. We're living in that time. All that the prophets wrote about, this is that time. Mm. It was time that was actually in action the day the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And there were people who had believed, but they, they put their faith in Jesus, but they had a hard time transitioning from the old to the new. In fact, they would say, oh, I believe in Jesus, but man, I got to get to work. If I don't do all these laws and commandments, if I don't keep do, offering the sacrifices, you know, I just don't, I don't know that I'm even going to be able to be saved. Really? They had the beginnings of the new covenant, but they were still living under the old. They still lived in all their guilt. They still lived in all their fear. They still lived in all the pressure. They still lived as though their sin was still active. They still lived as though their sin was still on their account. They, they lived as though the sin was still on God's record and he was looking at their life through their sin. They still lived with fear that he was going to call them to account one day and say, now, now you're going to pay. I've been watching you, you sorry, miserable thing, and now you will pay. <laughs> Seems silly. But you'd be surprised how many Christians still live with that view of God today. That God is holding their sin against them. That God is out to get them. That all of the laws are still in place. And that the old covenant is still active. And they better clean up their act or he's going to turn on them and burn on them. They still live carrying the guilt. Oh, they'll come into a church service and sing a few songs with the most deadpan look you could ever imagine because they're so weighed down with their past, so consumed with fear, so overwhelmed with pressure, they can't even be in the moment. There's no peace. There's no joy. There's no life. There's no, there's no freedom. To a group of people, a letter in the New Testament was written. We call it the book of Hebrews, written to some people who knew full well the old covenant life, had tasted of the reality of Jesus, but still lived as though his death didn't do anything. So I want to read to you part of chapter 10. It's not going to be on screen. I just want you to listen. If you want to turn and follow me, that's great. I'm starting in verse 1. This passage speaks life. It speaks freedom. It spoke it to them. It speaks it to us today. If you still carry the guilt of your sin, 
If you still hear a voice of condemnation, if you still live in fear, if you still live under pressure, hear the ghost as he talks right now. Verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. It didn't matter how many offerings you brought. It didn't matter what you did. Those alone could never make you perfect. Verse 2, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? If there was one that could have done it, then they would have stopped. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. They'd be able to stop playing the tape. They'd be able to let it go. Verse 3, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. You just keep remembering where you failed. You just keep remembering your sin. You just keep carrying it around. The guilt is a burden. The fear is a burden. The pressure is a burden. Verse 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he, Jesus, came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offerings you do not desire but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then he said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God. And he takes away the first, that he may establish the second, a new covenant. Verse 10, and by that will, that determination, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Do you hear the truth in that? Amen. By what Jesus did, by your faith in him, you are declared sanctified, holy, blameless, and righteous. It's by what he did, not what you did. Oh, but it's going to take your faith to believe it. Ooh, we're not through yet. Verse 11, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. They couldn't back then, and they can't today. If you think coming to church, reading your Bible is somehow offsetting your sins, you're wrong. You can't. It's not by what you do. It's by what he has done. Verse 12. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering... He has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Ooh. Now here's the part that to me is the richest out of this whole passage. And this is where the ghost comes in. Verse 15. It says, but the Holy Spirit, 
the ghost of God, he witnesses to us, it says. Hmm. The ghost, he does some talking to us. You put your faith in Jesus and now the ghost is in you and he's talking to you. He's telling you some things. You know what a witness does? A witness tells you what they've seen. They, he tells you what has happened. He tells you the truth about what has happened. You see, the ghost has seen some things. The ghost has been in eternity. He's been with the Father. He's been in history, and he's seen some things, and he's saying some things. He's witnessing some things to us. It says, here's what he witnessed and what he says to us. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. Here's the covenant. Don't miss it. I will put my laws into their hearts. And in their minds, I will write them. And then he adds, it says. He just adds this part. Like it's not so significant. But you're going to see it's the most significant. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. No more. He doesn't remember them. He doesn't hold them against you. They've been paid for. The guilt is gone. The fear has been dissolved and the pressure removed. And the ghost is the one who keeps saying it to you. Here's what I saw. Here's what I know. This is what's true. The ghost witnesses to us in it. And where that ghost is, there'll be liberty. There'll be freedom. He'll set you free. And then you can say, I know this Jesus who came and died for my sins. I know this Jesus who rose for me. I know this God who saw me, who predestined that I would know him. I know this God, but I also know that this truth is real. I know that this truth touches my heart. I know that this truth is made for me, not because I'm all worth it, but because I know a ghost. Amen? Amen. Hey, stand with me and let's pray today. Father, today, we may have come in carrying a load. We may have come in bearing our guilt. We may have come in burdened with some fear. We may have come into this place feeling some pressure. But today, we're not going to leave like we came in. Because today, we're remembering what you've done. Today, we are hearing the truth that say, you will not remember our sins anymore. You don't hold them against us. You're not looking to prosecute us with them. Because that is what happened on the cross. Jesus bore the full penalty for our sin and because of that, we can be free today. We can know absolute freedom in our soul. And that freedom spills over into every area of our life. God, I'd ask today that you'd help us see the reality of that. That we would live free. We wouldn't be concerned about what others think because we know what you think. We wouldn't care what someone else says because we know what you say. 
that our faith would be great, our love would be strong, our worship would be passionate, and we would know, most of all, that now we know your ghost. Father, we're grateful today. Move us, change us, keep changing us so that we're conformed to the image of your Son. And in that, we live free today and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a great message today from Pastor Brian as we summed up our series, I Know a Ghost. It's so great to hear just how that spirit sets us free. If you would, click below on subscribe and tune in next week for our new series.